welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Kingdom Culture, what's going on? It's so great to be with you today. Uh, what an honor. My wife, Natasha, our entire experienced church family back in Calgary, send their love. And uh, I just want to express my appreciation to Pastor Sean and Michelle for the invitation to be with you online this morning. You know, every time I see you guys at conferences or events or even tracking with you on social media, man, I'm encouraged. You are fighters. You're determined. You're believing for good days. You've got vision for the future. Thank you for your strong and steady leadership. Come on, Kingdom Culture. If you love your pastors, would you take a minute and just light up the chats, let them know, get behind them, support them, encourage them. Well, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to today. I love the Bible. I love reading the Bible. I love um, digging in and allowing it to speak to our situation and our hearts. And so we're going to get started. Psalm chapter 27, verse 13. This is one of my favorite verses right now. This is, this is one of those verses. You know, you read a verse every once in a while. And you're like, man, that verse would make a great tattoo. I'm telling you, you ought to consider Psalm 27, 13. Maybe you got some canvas right here, lower back, just light it up, some swirls, and then t- Psalm 27, 13 right there. It says this, it says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Oh man, that's a good verse. Listen, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching from, I want you to read it with me out loud, okay? Let's try it together. Say, I, and, and you gotta read it with some swag. You can't just like, you gotta have a little bit of swagger when you read this verse. It's not a timid, weak, you know, shy verse, okay? Let's read it with some confidence. Say, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Come on, kingdom culture. What a promise. We will see the goodness of the Lord. We're going to see it in the city of Ottawa. We're going to see it spread through the province of Ontario, the nation of Canada. You're going to see the goodness of the Lord in your family, in your relationships, in your businesses. This is an amazing promise from scripture. I will see the goodness of the Lord. Come on, let's just take a moment and pray together. God, thank you so much for this promise. Thank you, Jesus, that you are good. You do good. You've always been good and you have good things for us in the future. We lean on that promise today. God, we ask that wherever we're at, whatever our frame of reference is, whatever our life and week has been like, God, that you pull the scales off our eyes so we could see the the good that you're doing here and now and the good that you have planned for us in the future. Speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Come on. Well, confidence. Confidence. I want to talk just for a few minutes today about confidence. Uh, The definition of confidence is to have full trust and belief in the power and reliability of a person or a thing. Full trust and belief. Full trust and belief. You know, as a dad, I want to raise confidence 
confident kids. Like your pastors, uh, Natasha and I have four kids. And I don't want weak, wimpy, timid, whiny, little, I mean, those kids can hang out in somebody else's house that's not my kids. I want like heads high, shoulders back, confident kids. We actually have, um, we have a cheer that we do every morning. We get our kids together. They are um, 13, 11, nine, and seven. We get them all huddled up and Natasha and I in there and we pray together. And then we start saying, Lamberts are the best. Lamberts are the best. We get louder and louder and louder. So we're like, Lamberts are the best. It's amazing. I get, well, you know, now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds a little cult-like, but we're just, we're just instilling confidence in our kids. My youngest, Zara, seven years old, she wants to be a skateboarder. So back during the, the Olympics in the summertime, she was tracking pretty heavy with the skateboarding competition and was really drawn to it because a lot of the girls that were competing were like 11, 12, 13 years old, and they're just dominating out there. And at one point she said, Dad, if I get a skateboard now and start practicing, maybe I could be in the Olympics one day. I'm like, honey, absolutely, you could be in the Olympics one day. So she saves up her money, she goes for it. So she, she buys the board. She's got this little pink skateboard, little pink elbow pads, pink wrist guards. She's got the knee pads, pink helmet. She's pinked out, she's skateboarded out. She's a skater girl, she's ready, okay? She gets all dressed up in her gear, we unpack the skateboard. She's standing on the skateboard in the middle of our house. And I mean, think, just this skateboard has never seen the pavement. It's never been exposed to harmful UV rays. It's never been outside. The wheels have not even rolled anywhere. She's literally just standing on the skateboard in her gear. She's like, dad, take a picture of me. I'm a skateboarder now. I'm like, wow, honey, you're not. I mean, you, you look like a skateboarder, but you're not. Like, it's going to take some work to actually become a skateboarder. We have to go outside. we got to try it on the sidewalk, and then we got to try it on the street, see if we can skateboard to the park. And all of a sudden, she's nervous. She doesn't want to fall. She's feeling intimidated. And listen, there are a few things that I'm not going to do as a dad who's trying to raise confident kids. One, one thing is that I'm not going to tell my kids they're awesome at something that they're not awesome at. So we get outside and I'm not like, honey, you're the best. No, no, no. I was like, honey, you need to practice. We don't need American Idol syndrome up in my house. Churches get that all the time. People roll in, they want to be on the worship team. They want to sing like, well, my mom said I could sing and that I have a beautiful voice. And now it's on the pastor to tell you that your mom lied and you're a terrible singer. Listen, we don't need that. I'm not trying to develop that type of mentality in my house. Now, I'm not heartless, so I'm out there like, you can do it, Zara, and I'm cheering her on. I'm just not lying to her. Now, she also said, Dad, would you, would you hold my hand? And, you know, I thought about it. Honey, you know what? No, I'm not, I'm not going to hold your hand. You're seven years old. You don't need me to hold your hand. I know you're looking at me right now like I'm, I'm this heartless terrible dad. No, I'm just trying to raise confident kids. I'm like, honey, um, you got to learn how to do this. Uh, when, you're, we, when you're in the Olympics, I cannot hold your hand in the Olympics. She's like, dad, will you catch me with a when I fall? I'm like, uh, probably not, but I'll pick you up. You'll be fine. And so she's timid. But she starts going, gets one foot on the board, just give him a little push with the other foot, and I'm watching, and it's only a few seconds, but it feels like an eternity. Like, I don't want her to fall. I don't want her to hurt herself, but I want her to learn. And so as she starts to veer off the path, she catches a rut. The board slips out from under her, and she starts falling. Goes, no! Bam! She falls down. 
You know, at first she was pretty shook. I mean, the first 30 seconds, there were tears. She's like, I hate skateboarding. I'm done. Forget about it. I'm like, oh no, honey, you gotta get back up. Gotta get back up. Here, I'll help you. And then she realized that like the shock of the fall was what kind of startled her, but she was so well protected with her gear that she wasn't even hurt. All of a sudden, I saw this little spark come in her eye. It was this confidence. She gets up, she tries again. She falls. She gets up, she tries again. And, and, and I ran over and said, honey, are you all right? She's dead. It's no big deal. I fell on my knee pads. Even, even if I hit my head, dad, I got my helmet on. Like I've got, I've got my gear. Um, it's not gonna hurt to fall. And I loved watching her confidence grow as she understood the level of protection she had. Now she's not at the place where she's ready for the Olympics, but it's been a few months and she's getting, she's getting pretty good. <coughs> she can like skate to the park. We'll ro- she'll, uh, she'll skateboard up to the corner store. I mean, she can get out. Like it's, it's starting to happen for her. You know, I was thinking about it um, in, in the context of Christianity and who we are as believers. And I think that in this season that we've been living through, we've become so inundated and overwhelmed with all that's happening in the world that many of us have simply forgotten how protected we are by the power of God. Not only that we're protected, but that we've been given divine power and authority. And listen, it's not just the pandemic narrative. In this current cultural uh, context, the reputation of the church has been under attack. It's how we've been portrayed and what people think and what we stand for. And it's shifted our confidence and a lot of Christians. And, and I found myself in this tension. We've, we've grown timid and we've shrunk back and we've stepped back and we've taken a, posi- a position on the sidelines wondering, like, does church work? Is, is, is the church God's plan? Is the word of God true? What if I fall? What if people judge me? What if, what if people don't understand? What if they don't agree with all my positions and perspectives? And we've pulled back to the point where many of us are saying, I'm a Christian. But it's just like Zara was saying, I'm a skateboarder. When she's standing on the skateboard in the living room, not moving anywhere, listening, having the gear did not make her a skateboarder. It was the practice and her dedication and her commitment to moving forward that will make her a skateboarder. Listen, we are not Christians just because we wear the costume and stand in the position. We're not Christians just because we show up on the feed once a week. We are Christians because we move with confidence into the plans and purpose that Jesus has for us. We are building and establishing with him a heavenly kingdom. We are believing for miracles. We are advancing the mission of God throughout the earth. And so today, as you're preparing for your house of hearts, year-end offering, you know, as you sit here watching, worshiping along with your church family from home, from the car, from your bedroom, from your kitchen after not meeting in person for 20 months, with the world still crazy and questions still unanswered, the future still uncertain, I just wanted to remind you that the goodness of God is something you can be confident in. And, and, and as Christians, it's time for us to get our confidence back 
Listen, man, you're going to walk into the House of Hearts year-end offering. You're going to walk into that with some swagger, some confidence. Man, God is going to use me. He has prepared me. He's working through me. He's called me. He's blessed me so I can be a blessing. We've been graced by God to build this church. I'm investing in a miracle. This church is good soil. God has a plan. I will see the goodness of the Lord. We need to get our confidence back. So what do we do? Well, I want to read uh, a quick story from the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. And uh, uh, one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite Bible characters, Bible heroes, a prophet named Elisha. Uh, the story starts like this. We're going to go 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. Okay, now, now I told you that Elisha's the prophet. He's the man of God. What's happening here is he is doing some like supernatural recon work for the king of Israel. Every time the Arameans, the enemy, are moving in to get a military advantage, Elisha warns the king. As a result, the Israelites are never caught off guard. They avoid conflict. They avoid casualties. Now, something that struck me as I was thinking about this story, and I was thinking about you and, and, and where you are and how God has positioned you as a church, I just thought, man, Elisha has such significant political influence. He has an audience with the king. But just because he was engaged politically did not mean that he supported the corruption in every agenda of the monarchy. It would appear that he knew that it was better to work with this king than for the entire nation to be ruled by the Arameans. And I only mention that because as Christians in a democratic society and as a church who's been strategically placed, come on, in Ottawa, in the belly of the beast, you are right there in the nation's capital. God has strategically dropped you there for influence. And the challenge is to, as believers is to be engaged in what happens politically, but not consumed by what happens. And I just believe that God is raising up your leaders and leaders from within your congregation with an anointing to speak to power, to provide counsel, to provide direction, to prophesy that, that you will become a mouthpiece for the kingdom of God to those who are in authority in our nation. I want you to pray into it. I want you to hold on to it. I want you to, I want you to hold it tightly because God is moving. And, I, and I'm not just talking about those who are in obvious leadership within the church right now. You don't know if you're watching this, you don't know what God has called you to. You don't know what strategic relationships he's lining up for you, but it is important that we understand where we are. You have the influence in a political sphere. Okay, we got to keep going. Uh, verse 11 says, This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. He thought there was a traitor. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. That's creepy. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Okay, so the king of Aram is understandably frustrated. Elisha has completely removed 
uh, the positional and tactical military advantage that he had over the Israelites. And I find it so interesting that when someone becomes a threat to the enemy, the enemy always devises a plan to retaliate. When the enemy is threatened, he shifts into attack mode. So where is he? Where is this Elisha? And they send out, come on, this is the horses and the chariots and a strong force. This is the most sophisticated military might available at that time in human history. And he sends it all after one guy. Sends it after one guy, one man, one prophet. Puts this kind of terror into the enemy's heart that an entire army is in pursuit. I bring that up not to suggest that every problem you face is the devil. You know that. You know that you ran out of gas. That wasn't a spiritual attack. You're just dumb. You just forgot to put gas in the car. You know that sometimes you're late because you just don't manage your time well. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy and our thoughts and our attitudes and our decisions um, get us into bad places. We get that. But there are moments in life when the plan that God has for you is so big and so significant and so divine that the enemy is threatened by your very existence. Listen, when you know that God has anointed you, when you know that he has raised you up for this moment, for this time in history, to lead your household, to parent your children, to run that business, to be in those relationships, to have that community. When you start taking a stand and living for Jesus, when, when you start to have some convictions and godly morals and we honor God with our decisions, making, when you begin to run after the calling and the purpose of God, all of a sudden the enemy will dispatch special forces to take you out. Listen, make no mistake. The world we live in is not simply the world that we see. There is a spiritual realm. There are spiritual forces at work behind the scenes in my life, in your life. And there is an enemy agenda. And every now and then you got to step back and take inventory and realize that the problems and the obstacles and the frustration and the temptation and the trials and some of the things that you face, these problems are simply confirmation of your divine purpose. There is a correlation between the size of the problem you face. And I know that there are some people with us today and you have been up against it. You've been facing some problems. There is a correlation between the size of the problem you face and the size of the purpose God is forming in your life. And knowing that can help us get our confidence back. Oh, this I'm not getting attacked because I'm weak. I'm getting attacked because I'm strong. I'm not getting attacked because I'm insignificant. I'm getting attacked because what God has put on the inside of me is so significant that the devil wants to hold me back and slow me down. Listen, a difficult season does not mean it's over. It does not mean you quit. It means you have been uniquely positioned to overcome. They sent the entire army after one man, because he was a threat to their agenda. Oh, I love it. The size of the problems we face. Man, this has been such an encouragement to me in this season. It is a reflection of the purpose God is forming. That's why you can't quit. That's why we can't give up. That's why we're gonna get up tomorrow and we're gonna keep going and we'll keep believing and we'll keep praying. That's why you're on the feed worshiping with us today because this is a spiritual war. And yes, the devil keeps trying to slow you down and discourage you and get all up in your business and potential because he knows that if you don't quit, he loses. Listen, he understands, man, if after all I've thrown at them, 
If after all they've been through, they can still give sacrificially in a house of hearts offering. If, if, they, if she can still get up and pray one more time. If he can still worship again in his living room and find a way to praise through the discomfort and the pain. If they don't quit, the devil knows if you stay in it, chains will break and walls will come down. The atmosphere will shift and the enemy is terrified of you living with purpose. God was using Elisha to shift the balance of power in the war between Israel and their enemy. One man shifting the balance of power between two opposing nations. Listen, there is a kingdom of heaven and a kingdom of darkness. And just imagine with me for one moment if hundreds of us decided that I have the spirit of Elisha on the inside of me and, and, and if we really understood that we are an overcomer and that we have power and authority through Jesus to turn the tide and advance the kingdom of heaven, what if we really understood that in the same way Elisha was shifting the balance of power between nations that you and I could step into our culture and shift the balance of power between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness that we can adjust, we can, we can impact and influence the power balance. What would happen if we built the kingdom with that kind of confidence. You are a threat. Man, every time you wake up, you are a threat to the enemy. Every time you open your mouth, you are a threat to the enemy. Every time you give, you're a threat to the enemy. Verse 15, this is when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Oh man, I we're, we love to camp, our family. We love to, I mean, we spend most of our summers uh, camping and fires and like the whole thing. And imagine you're out with your buddy Elisha on a camping trip. You had a fire, roasted some marshmallows, gets dark. Elisha goes to his tent. You head to your tent. Good night's sleep, man. Just peaceful. Things are good. And you wake up the next morning. I'm, I'm just, you know, the servant wants to serve Elisha. So I bet he gets up early. He's thinking, man, I'm going to make the man of God some bacon because every, like, mornings with bacon are just better. So he gets up, and he gets the supplies out, and he goes out to start the fire, steps outside of the tent, and he looks up, and he is surrounded by enemy forces. Whew. I mean, how quickly have things changed? It, it was a boy's trip. Everything was good. I mean, they had a great night's sleep, and now all of a sudden, like, it's not, you just want to make some bacon, and now there's, a, there's an army surrounding you? His response is so funny, so simple, but so relatable. He just says, oh, no! Man, this isn't good. I, I feel that way sometimes. I mean, like, I, like, just stop for a minute, and what, you know what? My, my least favorite feature on Facebook is actually Facebook. It's the whole thing. I hate it. Uh, but you know how they have the, the memories and the memories show up and you see a picture of yourself from like two years ago and it's like, oh shoot, that, wow, time goes by fast. Like 10 years ago, man, that time. Do you know that 10, 10 years ago, Adele released Rolling in the Deep like 10 years ago? Man, that's crazy. I mean, I, I, 10 years, time goes by fast. In our world, of course, things have changed quickly. Things change so quick. 
the hate, the anger, the frustration, the deception, the division, the vitriol that exists between people that, that months ago would have considered each other friends. But everything's changed so quickly. The way that you have relationships now and, and six months, a year or two years ago, that was a solid friendship. You'd made investments in each other's lives. You cared about each other. You'd been through some stuff. You'd walked through some things. And all of a sudden, because we disagree on, 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 a, on one or two trivial things, we are throwing away years of influence and relational, relational equity, friendship, investment. That's not normal. Just because disagreement is everywhere and just because the world is polarized doesn't mean that we also have to be polarized, that we have to go to one side or the other. It doesn't mean it's right to do that. It's divisive and it's toxic, but things have changed quickly. You know, personally, maybe for you, things have changed quickly. Maybe you woke up one day and you said goodbye to a loved one. It's a whole new world. You woke up one day and your job is gone. It's a quick change. You woke up, things change Quickly, man, you, you've been used to meeting together and seeing each other and worshiping together in the same spaces and one day, bam, change quickly. And it can really feel like the only appropriate response when we're experiencing that kind of change is, oh no, what do we do? What do I do now? What's next? How do I move forward? How do I keep going? So I understand, I understand that that would be our response to those moments, but watch how Elisha replies. He says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The servant wakes up, goes to make some bacon, sees the army, freaks out, ah! runs back, knocks on Elisha's tent. Elisha gets up. I just imagine him kind of rubbing the, the sleep out of his eyes, just, ah! what's going on? Servant, there's an army. And Elisha just offers him a, well, don't be afraid. No, no, no. Like if I'm the servant, I'm freaking out. Elisha, don't be afraid. That's not great. That's not helping me. I got to know what we're supposed to do. And he says, no, just don't, don't be afraid. No, Elisha, would you please tell me what should I do? do? Should I run? Should I scream? Should I surrender? Should I hide? Like, what do I do? He says, don't be afraid. You know, sometimes before we can receive what God wants us to do, we have to acknowledge the thing that God has said don't do. Yeah, sometimes we got to stop doing what God said don't do before he will be released to do what he's called us to do. Sometimes we, we, we need to obey the don't before we can actually follow the do of God. So you know, I was thinking about this in my own life. How often do I come to God with questions about what to do? God, what should I do in, in my business, you know, in business or school or finances or living situation or relationships? All these things. We have these questions. And for so many, God's leading with a don't. Well, you, you know, don't sleep with that person before you're married. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't uh, shortcut your degree. Don't um, don't rob me by not giving of your finances. Don't, no, he starts with a don't. And so many of us get caught standing still in our faith because when God says don't, we say, sorry, what? Oh, that's not what I was asking, God. I'll just do what I want in that area. I'm asking you for direction over here. No, sometimes you gotta acknowledge the don't before you can be released to do. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. 
Listen, before we can understand fully what God is doing, even right now, even today, in your family, in your life, what is happening under the surface, what, what God is working behind the scenes, before we can see the magnitude of the plan that he has for us, we have to respond to this challenge. Don't be afraid. Now, on the surface, it doesn't even feel like a realistic request. Elisha's saying to the servant, don't be afraid. We're surrounded by an, like the armed forces. I, I feel like Elisha strikes me as, in this story, at least, as one of those really overly positive Christian types, you know? Like the, the ones who walk into church and they just got dumped, but they're like, yeah, feeling good. Just got dumped. Heart, heart is super broken right now, but God's got a plan. It's like, man, stop smiling. What are you smiling about? You know, they, they slap their kids seven times in the minivan on the way to church and they walk in like, we're so good. We're so good. We're just feeling it right now. We're just having a great day, just smiling. And you know, the ones who got, they, life was falling apart and the world is crazy and they see you in your despair and they come up and say, hey, don't even worry about it. God works all things together for good, which is true. I know it's true, but sometimes it's not what you want to hear. You know, the, the, he's like the always positive glass half full people. Like, you know, everything's nuts. And he, he rolls in like, hey, it'll all be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Like, it's just, this is not the time for these really simplistic, positive things. Like, don't be afraid. Like, that's cute, Elisha, but there's an army here to get you. Yet still, don't be afraid is the command. Listen, you know, over and over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible instructs us, don't be afraid. And it happens in strategic moments. Before Joshua could do and complete the task of leading the Israelites into the promised land, God said, don't be afraid. Before David could become king, God instructed him, don't be afraid. Before Mary became the mother of Jesus, God said, don't be afraid. More than a hundred times in scripture, you read, don't be afraid. Before somebody is about to launch into their destiny, I'm telling you, we've got to get a handle on this situation with fear in our world right now. If we're going to be able to walk out what God has called us to walk out, Second. Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Now notice what God contrasts with fear. He doesn't put, it's not fear and then faith on the other end of the spectrum. He says, God's not given us fear, but he has given us a sound mind. Now, listen, I think God knows something about fear that maybe we've been slow to catch on with. And, and thankfully, medical science and research and psychology has started to catch up. But listen, when we are afraid, we're crazy. Scientifically proven. When we're worried and anxious, we get crazy. Our judgment is clouded. We think irrationally and emotionally. We're willing to do anything to eliminate the feeling of fear. We get crazy when we're afraid. And so just listen, I, I say that so that you can understand your own crazy. I say that because I'm learning how to understand my crazy. I say that because we have to understand the crazy we see in people around us. And you see crazy in people, somebody posting crazy, going crazy, living crazy, acting crazy, speaking crazy. Don't separate yourself from them. Just take a minute to realize that there's just somebody on the inside who's scared to death of what's going on in the world. And, and, and crazy is just a manifestation of that fear. We see that a lot right now. So listen, we've got to make space for crazy. Keep your heart soft to people who seem a little crazy. Keep your arms open 
to people who seem a little crazy. Keep your friend group open, a small group open, your home open to people who seem just a little bit crazy because it's not them. They're just afraid. There continues to be this fear narrative everywhere. It's not new. It's not new in the last couple of years. It's not like the media just learned that fear sells. This has been around forever. But fear stops us in our feeds. Fear keeps us on the channel. Fear is being used by every news outlet, every politician. Listen, they're not trying to inform us. They gave up on that a long time ago. They're trying to intimidate us so that we're easier to navigate and control. So we have a world running around blind by fear, full of rage, anger, skepticism, uncertainty, pain. Because when you're scared, you don't see things right. When you're scared, you don't think strategically. When you're scared, you can't problem solve. And I like that Elisha addresses this head on. And he didn't say, don't feel fear. He said, don't be afraid. Now, there's a difference between fear and afraid. See, fear is an emotion that you feel in a moment. Afraid, according to the uh, theologian Miriam Webster, is to be filled with fear or apprehension. Okay, so fear is an emotion in the moment. Afraid is to be filled with fear or apprehension. Listen, afraid only happens when you let the emotion of fear take over and we get filled and consumed with it. That's why I don't like the idea that fear is the opposite of faith, that, that, that you can't have both at the same time. Listen, fear is simply an indicator that it's time to have faith. Now, sometimes, you know, we get so accustomed to being afraid that you wake up in the morning and fear shows up knocking at the door of your heart and you just open the door and the coffee's on and fear walks in, helps itself to a snack in the refrigerator and sets down at your table, makes itself at home all day and you've just let fear in and given it a place to live. But what if? What if we, what if the feeling of fear didn't mean that we had to be embodied by fear? What if we knew we didn't have to let fear in? What if when fear knocked, it was a trigger, like an alarm on the door of your heart, like fear triggering faith. Like when you start to feel afraid and overwhelmed, it's like, oh man, it's time for faith. Like fear hits, it's like, wow, I need to remind myself right now that, that more are with us than who are with them. I need to remind myself right now, it's a trigger. Oh, I'm afraid? Okay, great. With God, all things are possible. I'm afraid? Great. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. Listen, fear triggers faith. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. Open his eyes, Lord. I love this prayer. Open his eyes. I I want him to see what's really happening. I want him to see beyond the surface that you are actually present and moving. I'm wanting to see from a supernatural perspective. Listen, I've, I've started to pray those prayers over myself regularly. God, help me to see that you are at work in the world. God, help me to see, even when I can't see it, that there is a purpose and a plan unfolding here. God, help me to see, even when I don't feel it. Help me to see, even when it seems unlikely. Help me to see that you're still in control. Faith sees what other people don't see. And so we've got a responsibility to see differently. We will Remain confident. Oh man, that's, come on, that's the prophetic vision that sees differently. Confident that even in the chaos, we will see the goodness of the Lord. Confident that even in the crazy, we will see 
the goodness of the Lord, confident that even when the world seems to be ripping itself apart, that God still has a plan and he's still on the move and he's still orchestrating things behind the scenes. Confident kingdom culture that even though everyone says it's not possible and doors have been closed, that God is preparing a permanent home, a miracle space for your church. So you're going to be able to open the doors again and welcome people in and you're going to have a spot, uh, a beacon of hope in the middle of the city. You will take territory, confident. We need to get our confidence back that we will see the goodness of God. Listen, the world does not need an afraid church, an overwhelmed church, a timid church, a scared church, a shy church, an anxious church. What the world needs is a prophetic church who recognizes that God is still on the throne and he's still moving and he holds all power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing are his and that you and I, prophetically, we can see it. We are surrounded by the armies of heaven. So we need to have eyes to see prophetically. How do we have prophetic vision in this season? Well, first thing I think we need to rehab our vision. I did a little bit of research and I'm kind of winding down with this. I did some research. Um, did you know there are natural things you can do to improve your vision and prevent the loss of sight? And in, in getting our confidence back, so much of our confidence is tied to what we see. So we've got to be able to see prophetically so we can be confident. So how do we get our vision back, our prophetic vision? Well, practically speaking, in the natural, eating a, this is like straight from an article. So like forgive the mechanical vibe of the, the words. Eating a balanced and healthy diet, rich in antioxidants and vitamins, a nutritious diet can help to enhance vision and slow down age-related vision loss. Come on, stay with me. What you feed yourself can make or break your prophetic vision. What, what you're feeding yourself is determining what you see, even in spiritual realms. Listen, I'm telling you right now, Sundays are not enough to sustain your faith through what's gonna get thrown at you the other six days of the week. Pastor Sean is a great preacher. You got great leadership, but even his best sermon is not gonna sustain you for the entire week. Listen, we've got to feed ourselves spiritually. We've got to get into the word of God. We've got to get discipline in our practices. Just like my daughter had to practice so she could move forward. We need the practices of prayer and worship and the word Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day of the week if we're going to continue to move forward. So we need to eat healthy spiritually. We also need to protect our eyes. You know, in the natural, wearing sunglasses with UV protection when you're out in the sun to keep harmful rays from diminishing your eyesight with prolonged exposure is recommended. We protect our eyes with sunglasses. And I think that we also need to protect our prophetic eyes. The question is like, where are you looking? You know, you're always gonna lean where you look. My, as, as Zara has become more comfortable on her skateboard, she still has this one little habit where she'll, she'll stop looking where she's going. And so, so she'll, be, she'll be on the skateboard and we're heading down the street, but she's looking over here at a dog and she just starts to lean where she looks. You know, we do that too. Listen, if we're always focused on the problem, we're just gonna get drawn to the problem. We're gonna see more of the problem. Your life will lean towards the problems. That all of a sudden you're a person who's defined by the problem. And 
I don't want to downplay the significance of what some people have been through. Maybe you've been hurt and maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe there have been terrible things that have been done to you, but you've got to reach this point in your life where you stop playing that scenario over and over and over in your mind, wondering and, and, and coming with what ifs and coulda, shoulda, wouldas, because every time you do, you're just leaning away from the destiny of God and you're getting a little bit off course. No, you need to protect your prophetic sight. Stop looking back there. Stop looking to the past. Let's look to the future. C, this is an ABC, the third thing that will help us with our eyesight is taking a break from screen time. The American Optometric Association recommends that if you spend a lot of time looking at a screen, such as a computer or a smartphone, you need to take a break and look 20 feet away every 20 minutes for two seconds at a time. This can help prevent digital eye strain, which can cause fatigue, headaches, neck tension, and decreased vision. Now listen, this is a pretty obvious parallel. I'm not even gonna try to make it all natural, spiritual. Get off our phones. We gotta get off social media. We need to take a break from always looking at what's right in front of us and have some vision. Look ahead, look beyond. I love that it says you gotta break from this and look there. Man, you got a break from the problem. You don't want to lean into the issue. You got to take a break from just looking at the issues and the problems and look ahead. Look to what God is doing. Look to what he's promised. Look to the promise of his goodness being displayed and, and released in your lives. Listen, we got to stop looking at other people's lives. We need to take a break. You know why we struggle with jealousy and comparison and insecurity? Because we're not meant to be on Instagram spying on everybody else's life. You know why people cheat in relationships? Because we're not meant to have our eyes on everybody else all the time, wondering, oh, what if? Maybe maybe I should have stayed in contact with that person. Just don't, we cannot continue to drift and lean into things that are not God's, God's plan and God's call for us. We gotta stop looking for likes and affirmation and validation for people who don't really care and accept the fact that we've been validated and approved and purchased by our Heavenly Father on the cross. We don't need the screens. We need to look ahead. Where? Well, if we're gonna have prophetic vision, if we're gonna protect our prophetic vision, we need to fix our focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. So we need to decide now that when I don't know what to do, I'm going to look at Jesus. When it looks crazy, I'm going to focus on Jesus. When I don't have the answer, I'm going to look at Jesus. When I don't know what side to take, I'm going to look at Jesus. When I don't know how to move forward, I'm going to look at Jesus. I'm telling you, there is a prophetic anointing on your church. You can be confident of what God is getting ready to do. You can be confident of the goodness he's got for you, but you got to protect your vision, and we need to look at Jesus. It's time to get our confidence back. In, in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 18, it says, that as the enemy came down towards him. I think this is so interesting because Elisha's praying and the enemy keeps coming and it didn't look good. And I don't know what all the details look like in your world right now. I don't know uh, if there are things that maybe don't look good and are intimidating. Maybe you're walking through a bit of a trial, frustration. I, I don't know everybody's situation. But I do know this, that even when it doesn't look good, even when the enemy looks like he's still coming, even when it looks like it's getting worse, that the presence of God is right there with you. And if the presence of God is with you, 
then you can see beyond the obstacle. You can be confident that his goodness is on its way. I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to remind myself that there are more for me than against me. We need to remind ourselves. We need to be confident, hey, because we're protected. He's our shield and our defender. We don't have to fear the fight. God is able. We are more than conquerors. I remain confident of this. I will see. Come on. As we round out 2021, as we head into 2022, we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the land of the living. Hey, I'd love to pray for you. I'm so excited about what God is stirring up and doing in your house. But I believe that today there are some people who maybe your vision has been distracted. Maybe you've been leaning a little bit. Maybe uh, you've been feeling surrounded. And, and, and God um, you know, has brought us together on this feed. So I could just remind you that you can have confidence. Protect your prophetic vision. Protect your prophetic vision. You've been strategically placed right where you are, in your family, on your street, in your home, in your school, in your job, in your neighborhood, in your city, in this church to make a difference. Protect the prophetic vision uh, that you have so you can see what God is doing. Come on, let's just pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for this church. God, we thank you that you have chosen us and called us for this time in history. God, we thank you for the promise of your goodness. God, right now we just um, acknowledge that it hasn't always been easy to keep our eyes on you and to protect our prophetic vision. But God, today we're just recommitting again that we're gonna push aside distraction. We'll look to you, God, the one who writes our story. We will look to you and we trust again, God, that we are confident. God, I believe even by the power of your Holy Spirit right now, you're storing confidence in us. God, that we're gonna see your goodness on display in our lives. God, I thank you for the season of miracles that we're walking into as a church family. God, the season of breakthrough, the season of testimonies. Lord, would you just restore and return our confidence that he who called us is able. God, we're excited to be a part of building your church. And right now, just let's take a moment. There might be somebody here, you're with us, and you've not made the decision to trust Jesus with your life. I just want to pray for you. I believe he's knocking at the door of your heart right now. And you know, you've been trying to get ahead and trying to move forward. And it just, it's all overwhelming. It's all too much. You feel like you're getting weighed down and buried by the pressures of this world. I'm telling you, God brought you onto the feed today because you just need to take this moment and give your life to him. Trust him with your future. So would you let me pray for you if that's you? Jesus, for the one that's watching right now and knows it's time to get their life right with you. God, I ask that you would speak to their hearts. God, thank you that you forgive us from our sins. Thank you that you, you are with us even in our weakest moments and you pull us out. God, you, you lift us out of our weakness and God, you become our strength. God, you have a plan and a purpose. So for that person, God, I pray today as they make that decision to trust you with their future, they'd feel the overwhelming sense of your power and your presence in their lives. God, you'd walk with them into a beautiful tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Kingdom Culture. Love you.